morning. Man, it's good to be home. And uh, I was, I was uh, kind of sad to come back to snow, but we're here. So <laughs> I, ha- I had a great time in Pakistan and traveling. I'll tell you all about it here in a minute. But I'd like you to go in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 9, verse 30. And I'm kicking off a new series called The Finish Line. And what we are going to study in the next weeks ahead is Jesus on his journey up to Jerusalem, where he knew what awaited him. And he had got one final sprint in him. And he was in it to win it. He was looking for the victor's prize. And so I just want to uh, take some time here and look at the Lord's life. And, you know, the word the Lord dropped in my spirit this week means as much to me, I know, as it's going to mean to you. So uh, I want to read from Mark 9, chapter 30. Uh, Here's what the Bible says, that they departed from there and they passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise on the third day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the word of the Lord. I pray it would just stir up in my heart and your heart. Thank you, Father, for the purposes, the plans that you have for your people. And I just pray you reveal it to us by the Holy Spirit. Help us know it. Help us walk it. Help us discern and discover it. We pray that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. So when I read this verse, what I am reminded about is Jesus and his mission. Jesus was a man on a mission. I mean, he was laser-focused. Now, I say that because, you know, I I myself was just on a bit of a mission. So, you know, in case you didn't know, I spent the last three Sundays. I've never been gone for three Sundays. Part of the reason why is because you can't get flights out of Billings at convenient times. So that's some of the flight schedules it took. But, you know, we were in Pakistan. I just want to highlight some of the things that we did there, you, you know, you're going to hear us talk about it. So for me, the real highlight being there, my favorite moment was this pastor's conference that we taught. And, you know, I, I was able to actually speak to about a thousand ministers in a room there. It was the biggest crowd I think they had. I think we got a picture of it. And, and I had just the most incredible time talking to everybody. Um, I felt the Lord's hand on me in a totally unique way I had never felt before. And it just really highlighted to me how big the world is, how big the kingdom is, how much God is moving. And the, the, the thing that stuck out to me most, my lasting memory after we did that, was this uh, festival that took place in a pl- place called Okura, which is actually a smaller town in the area. And small towns in Pakistan are still bigger than like the entire population of Montana. So I want to show you a video that just really captivated the moment. And I think we have the video um, of a woman who got healed. She got a stroke. She had a stroke. Yeah. For five months. For five months she had a stroke. And what, what was the problem? She couldn't walk properly? Yeah. So she said, Yeah, this is like it. She could not walk, even she could not speak. Oh. Man, just being there and seeing that in the moment, I, I, it just blew me away just to see how the Lord loves his people. And that, that crusade was 
you know, just incredible to be there, witness that. You know, I, I, I mean, I was so grateful for that opportunity. And here at church, you know, we sowed a significant seed, and I'm just so appreciative for your support, your offering with it, and we're making a difference in Pakistan. I mean, the, the harvest fields in Pakistan are immense, and it's incredible just how the Lord is at work in different nations of the world. I think sometimes when you live in America, you kind of get lost in a bubble and forget about the kingdom at large around us. So this is in the heart of the 1040 window. That's where two-thirds of the world's population live, and that is where unreached people groups are. And I am just so proud of you, so thankful we got to go, and I got to give a shout-out to my traveling partner, Joel, who kept me awake and kept me laughing. And, and uh, I just am so grateful we got to go, man. It was a wonderful, wonderful time, and I want to just thank you for your faithfulness. And I look forward to being able to partner with Chris and do some things like that again, because when you can make an impact in a nation from a small place like we do, it is a powerful thing. So thank you for your support. We are sure grateful we got to do that, and I was blessed to be part of that. It reminded me about Jesus, because we just said to you that he was a man on a mission. Jesus was a man focused on his journey. I mean, he was fired up, uh, focused, determined, and it, 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 it made me just think about what Isaiah the prophet said. It said that his face was set like flint. I mean, he was determined. He was focused. In fact, if you look forward in your Bible in Mark chapter 10, the disciples followed him, and it says that they were amazed and they were afraid at the pace that he was setting, at what he was doing. He was a man focused on his mission. So when you sense the call of God in your life, when you're carrying a burden, when you're carrying something and want to do the will of the Lord, you can't lose your focus. You've got to stay on point. That's what Jesus did. He stayed diligent. Staying diligent in today's world is not an easy thing. It's not easy because we get so easily distracted because everyone's on their phones. I'm saying that. I'm looking at half of y'all staring at your phone right now. <laughs> Those phones are dangerous problems. Technology is a funny thing. It's amazing. And I mean, I love technology. It allows me to have all kinds of Bible stuff on my phone, on my tablet. I can get access to anything I want to know from the Bible in seconds. But it is distracting. How many of y'all have heard about the TikTok app? I mean, that's like on the news right now. And young people love TikTok. And I, they, they, the government knows the Chinese created to spy on you. Like, it, it's a problem. And one of the reasons the Chinese created this is because they're trying to weaken Americans' attention spans. It gives them a competitive advantage in the world. A guy named Michael Hyatt wrote a book called Free to Focus. He said that the ability to focus is the currency of the future. Because we've got a whole group of people dumbed down by their phones and have lost all ability to stay diligent and focused on something. I mean, just think about the world we're in. It's so hard for people to follow through and finish something. Man, you've got to stay disciplined when it comes to the call of God. That's what Jesus did. He was disciplined. He, he set his face like flint. He was moving forward. He was telling his disciples about everything that was going to happen. He kept going with it. Discipline. Now, I'm just telling you, Pakistan was something that required some discipline. My sister was joking around. She's like, oh, you got to go on a vacation. And I asked Joel, I said, is this a vacation? He was like, oh, no. No, by day four, when you're stuck with the same kind of food and you can't you know, use the water, and you can't talk the language, and everyone's you know, got these Pakistani accents running through your head, and you're up till four in the morning every night because the time zone chains have got you. In. And you're escorted by armed security everywhere you go because you're worried about getting you know, violently beat up. 
It, it was no vacation, and it required discipline. That's, that's the challenging thing is staying on point when you have something to fulfill. And so I grew in that moment because it reminded me about the purpose of God, the plan of God. And that's what you got to have in your life if you're going to complete it. Everyone has a mission. Jesus had a mission, and you have a mission. And what happens in today's world, a lot of times people don't understand the mission they have. And so I want to talk to you about, I want to ask you the question, what do you got to do to stay on mission? What gets in the way of your mission? It is easy to get distracted in the world today, as we said. So when you think about what it's going to take, there's some things in your way. There's some things that Jesus had to deal with. And as I was reading the chapter, I just had several things that stuck out to me about what gets in the way of a person from fulfilling their mission? So I, I want to highlight to you Mark chapter 9 and verse number 32. Here's the first thing that gets in the way of your mission. Mark 9, 32. After he'd said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, the disciples did not understand the saying. And it says they were afraid to ask him. Here's the very first thing that gets in the way of you fulfilling your mission. It is a lack of understanding. They weren't quite able to figure out what exactly Jesus was saying. And the prophet Hosea, thousands of years ago, said it like this, for lack of knowledge, people perish. When you don't know fully what the plan of God is or what the purpose is, or you lack understanding, that ignorance is not always bliss. So a lot of times, you know, the things that are spiritually discerned they, they're hard to figure out because we have natural minds, we have carnal minds, and we don't always understand what God is up to. So there, there's reasons why people don't fully understand the plan of God for their life. It's like sometimes it's a mystery to them. And one of the reasons might be that we are, you know, carnally minded. That's Romans 8 and verse 6. The carnal mind is an enemy against God. And, and so you might not understand what the Lord is doing spiritually and then work against it because you're caught up in natural circumstances. And this happens to people all the time. Uh, it could be the reason why you don't understand the, the plan of God is because you have ulterior motives at work. And sometimes people don't even recognize or discern the forces that are driving them. And when the motive is not right, when it's not pure, it's hard for God to use it. And so the disciples, they had all kinds of different ideas, different agendas. They wanted to see the kingdom of God come in physical force and didn't understand the nature of the kingdom. And that happens to people. This is why they don't understand what God is doing in a situation. Uh, it could be that people just get too idealistic about what they think will happen. And the problem with being idealistic is that reality will come kick you in the pants. Isn't that right? I mean, sometimes when you're caught up with ideas that aren't reality it's what happened to the disciples. They didn't know how hard it was going to get. And I think the thing that sticks out to me in this verse about fulfilling a mission in a person's life is that the disciples didn't understand and they were afraid to ask him. I mean, I've watched people do this. They, they get afraid of the implications of what God is asking them. And so they just bury their head in the sand and expect that, you know, everything will work out. And it's easy for people to hide in that by just kind of being oblivious, and it's because they're afraid about things. And sometimes when God asks you to do something, it can be a challenging thing. So when I don't know what the Lord is doing, when I say, God, where are you at in the situation? 
I have to ask him for his insight. I, I go to him in prayer. I seek his face. I, I get before him. And, and I'm amazed because he has this amazing ability to communicate truth. I mean, it, the scripture says that he'll lead you and guide you into all truth. He has the ability to reveal the steps you've got to take, the path before you. But it does take some time to sit at his feet and wait on him. It takes time to just kind of, you know, say, Lord, what are you doing here? And, and, you know, he breathed on his disciples at the end of Luke's gospel, opened up their understanding to comprehend the scripture, and he can do that with you. He can breathe a rhema word from the Lord to you that gives you insight about what you're supposed to be doing. I have found that's the most effective way to discover what is the will of God for my life. Now, a second thing that stead in the way of their mission. I'm reading Mark 9, and I want to read verse 33. It says that when he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed to yourselves on the road? Someone say the road. That's what I'm highlighting today. This first part of this series has to do with the road that Jesus walked down. You're on a journey with him. He's on a mission. He's on his way up to Jerusalem, and he's staying focused as he walks down this road. But it says they kept silent because on the road, they were disputing among themselves who would be the greatest. So when he sat down with the 12, he said, if anyone desires to be first, he should be last of all and servant of all. You want to know what gets in the way of you fulfilling the mission God has for your life? It is the failure to be a servant. And uh, this, this will trip people up. And I was laughing because I studied out the verse. And when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's the synoptic Gospels. They kind of follow the same story. Every time Jesus is telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem, they will kill me, but I will raise again. Every time that happens, the disciples get in an argument about who's going to be the greatest. I mean, it's like lost to them on what's really taking place. And Jesus is demonstrating what servanthood really looks like. I mean, John chapter 13, he's washing their feet. He's about to die. You'd think he'd be stressed out. Instead, he's encouraging them, loving on them, taking care of stinky fishermen's feet. You know, the greatest place you can have in the kingdom is to be a servant. That is like the highest level of spirituality. That, that's the greatest thing Jesus said you can do. It's the highest place of leadership. A servant is someone who will assume the lowest place at the table. Someone who is not looking for recognition. Now, I, I, I do get to use you know, stories from going to Pakistan. I had to laugh because no sooner had we arrived at some of these events, we were showered with flowers. And my poor friend Joel was always in the back, and he was getting hit in the face with rose petals. And little globs of them almost knocked his eye out. And I told my friend Chris, when we go to this crusade in Pakistan, I don't want anything to do with being seen. I don't want to be on that platform, mostly because I didn't want a million Pakistanis to try to send me Facebook friend requests, because they will. So Chris just smiled, okay, well, they, they brought us up there, you know, and you, it's not much of a choice you have, you're taken out of the van with armed guards, and you go up to the platform, and then they sat me right in the front of everybody, not where I wanted to be. Poor Joel was so sick from the water. And he had to go up there to the front, and he had to wave to the adoring masses as he was about to throw up. <laughs> I mean, but I didn't want anything to do with being in that position. I mean, I was trying to find the lowest spot that I could. I couldn't help it. It wasn't anything I was after. But I was so blessed just to see how people were ministered to, how the Lord moved in that way. I mean, 
I try to find the lowest seat at the table when I go places. That's the, that's the way to get promoted. As a servant, you, what happens is you, you get motivated by the love of God. That, that's, what, that's what servants are motivated by, his love at work in your heart. And his love has a way of purifying your motives. It's like an acid test you have agenda. It, it, it'll cleanse you. It'll, what happens is you start getting convicted about certain attitudes you have towards people because God's love is at work, and then he prompts you to serve people. He prompts you to be a blessing to them. And that's, that's what servanthood is. It's his love in, in work. And to be a servant, you also learn how to put other people ahead of you. And you know what I find just so interesting about this particular passage of Scripture is the next verses Jesus starts talking about little children. I mean, in verse you know, 36, verse 37, he's talking about taking a little child, blessing them. I have found that having little children makes you like one of the greatest servants that there is. Yeah. <laughs> the, because they're always needing something. I mean, you know, they have sticky fingers that you're always trying to clean, and the reason they're sticky is because they sneeze. Yeah. Is, it, it, they sneeze all school year long. I mean, it's the most amazing thing to be in one room and hear a sneeze... And you run over there to a you know, kid with snot hanging down. you got to wipe that one up. And then the other one sneezes across the house. I mean, back and forth trying to clean them up, wash their faces off. I mean, it takes an effort. Children have helped me become more of a servant than I ever imagined possible. And, and I have a lot more empathy now for my parents who took care of me. But I find it so interesting that Jesus is sort of like talking about greatness in the kingdom and he said, you got to be like a little child. you got to learn how to serve people sometimes. It's, it's really a remarkable thing. The quickest way for you to fulfill the dreams God has given you, the quickest way, fastest way for you to really stay in the place of your mission is to become a servant. You can find any possible way to do it. He, he will, God will show you creative wings, but when you have it in your heart, I am going to serve somebody. This is how you stay on the course. This is how you stay on the right track. Find someone that you can be a blessing to. Find someone that you can serve. You got children, you got cousins. You got any number of opportunities to be a servant. If you have that in your heart, God will, keep, he will enable you to be on the right path. So being a servant is how you stay on point, how you stay in mission. Let's talk about number three. You know, I, I love serving people. I'm looking for people I can bless all the time. Numbers chapter, uh, number three, Mark chapter nine, verse 38. Mm. John answered and he said, teacher, we saw someone who does not follow you casting out a demon in your name and we forbade him because he didn't follow us. I'll just stop right here for a second. I don't know if, if you're, you know, sometimes people don't keep up with what's going on in, in the, in the, in the Christian world and, and you know, in Montana, you kind of live in a bubble, but there's a whole move of like deliverance stuff taking place. And you, I have a friend writing a book about it right now. There's a lot of talk about, you know, demonic manifestations and oh, deliverance. And it's sort of all over the internet, especially in, in charismatic church circles. People are really trying to grasp with it. But it's a real thing. And this is something in, in the kingdom. I, and I, I personally think that as the world kind of gets crazier, there's more demonic manifestations now then I remember growing up. I, I think it's a real thing. So Jesus said, Do not forbid someone who's casting out devils. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. Now here is a thought you've probably never put together about you fulfilling the plan of God for your life. 
And what it has to do with is the personal prejudices that people have. That's what the verses here are about. Uh, prejudices existed as much in the ancient world as they do today. And a great story about this in the Bible is Numbers chapter 11, when Moses called 70 elders to prophesy, but two men, Eldad and Medad, they begin to prophesy, but no one had called them. They were not chosen by Moses. They were in the camp prophesying, and people got offended about it. They got upset. They said, stop these guys from prophesying. And Moses' response was, I wish that all of God's people were prophets. I wish everybody would prophesy. There was a bias. There was a prejudice aimed at those guys. And the same thing happens in today's world. And that, that prejudice you might have happens in all kinds of shapes and sizes for people. I, I see it all the time. When you think about prejudice, the first thing that probably comes to your mind is racism. Like people who see someone who's a different ethnicity and look down upon them. And this is as old as humanity. When you read the scriptures, you'll find out that the Jews and the Samaritans had racial issues with each other. And, and, and they wouldn't go in each other's homes. The Egyptians felt that way about the Jews. And I have to be honest, it was strange to be the only white guy on the plane from Dubai to Lahore. All right? And it was, Joel was laughing because he's taller than me, so he got more of the looks. You know, I think I was more inconspicuous. I, I was able to look at the ground more, didn't notice it. But you know, it, it is an interesting feeling if you've ever been the only person in your culture to go to a different culture, and suddenly you have empathy for people who might feel that way. <laughs> Cultural prejudices. I mean, you think there's problems in America. You, you haven't seen nothing until you go to Pakistan, and here they talk about the people from India. And, and it's crazy because they have like the same Punjab like heritage, same ethnicity, but the cultures are different. One culture is Hindu, and one culture is Muslim. And it's not like Canada and the U.S. border where you can go back and forth. These countries are at war. They want to blow each other up. They don't let people go back and forth. And I've been to both nations now. I've seen the differences. And when I look at like the Arab culture and the Jewish culture, I mean, there, there's a, a conflict right there. I, I flew Emirates Air, which was an incredible experience. Guitar Airlines has another amazing one, but Guitar does not fly to Israel. There, there's some, you know, cultural prejudices that exist. And I mean, I was just grateful to get back into Canada. I mean, the, the, the only cultural issues that I had up there was they like Tim Hortons donuts, and I'm more of a Dunkin' Donuts kind of guy. You know, I was like happy to be with Canadians. I was happy to be with Italians for that matter when I got there. <laughs> I mean... It, it was, it's incredible how people with different cultures carry certain prejudices about other people. Yeah. What about financial prejudice? This is a real thing, people. You, what's the feeling you get in your heart when you see someone begging at Walmart? And you think, mm, I don't know, get a job. You know, you, it, 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 that might be something in your heart. And, by the way, financial favoritism is something that happens as well. There's a reason the book of James says... If a rich guy shows up at your church, you shouldn't treat him better than a poor person. Because I've seen this play. I have seen pastors who will take, you know, business people and put them on their boards because they seem like they give a lot and they, they run a business only to find out a year or two later that they're running a scam and go to jail for seven years. I've seen it take place. And, and that's, that's a prejudice. That's a bias that you show favoritism to someone. You know what's an interesting one to overcome is a theological prejudice. This is one I've had to confront, I've had to deal with. Now, in Pakistan, I got to preach two Sundays ago at Pastor Khalid's church. Man, he's got an incredible work. 
And, and just to be there and, and see it, and, and I mean, what a beautiful thing the man is doing. But I found out that the guy who was like funding his church is a man who wrote a book about a particular area of theology, about eschatology, the end times, that I totally reject. And, and so this guy whose theology I don't agree with is supporting him. And, and I felt like, man, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And it made me question, should I be involved in this? And, and, and Jesus' whole point here is that sometimes you have to work with people that you may not agree with. It's called overcoming a prejudice. And I watch this as much in Pakistan as it happens in America. You've got Presbyterian ministers who may not agree with the Spirit-filled people. And the Spirit-filled people may not agree with the Reformed people. And, and it's like, man, that's just part of the nature of, of, of people in you know, the kingdom of the Lord across the world. It made me really think about it. I mean, how are you going to work with people that you disagree with? Because, you know, you're never going to find unanimity with anybody. I, even if they're your wife. I love my wife. But, you know, she's got some different things that she likes. I can eat chili out of a can. Elizabeth won't touch it. But she'll eat the dirty chicken at Walmart. I don't understand. I mean, it's, it's a crazy thing to me. <laughs> I mean, you can't find someone who you'll ever fully always agree with. But you got to find a way sometimes in the kingdom of God to work with people. you got to look for sincerity in a person. Can you identify when someone is genuine? I mean, those are things to look for. Uh, can, can you work with people who have common goals? You know, that's, that's what I found. I, I, I want to work with Pastor Khalid because we share a goal. The goal is the kingdom of God. The goal is to get people saved. Shared values are like the glue that holds you together. I, I found that sometimes vision isn't so captivating. It's the values that people share that help you walk together with someone. So you got to get past personal prejudices you might have towards someone if you are going to fulfill the mission God has for you. That's a relational principle that really helps you govern your life, and Jesus is identifying. Now, let me give you a fourth thought here. Mark 9, verse 42. Look what he said here. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it will be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, here is a fourth thing. That is, it's, it's a huge thing. Gets you off your mission. It's taking up an offense. And I read the verse from the New King James. That's the version I like to read from. But the old translation, the King James, actually uses the word offenses. Whoever shall offend one of these little ones. So it uses the word offenses because the context is the disciples arguing with one another back in verse 33 about who was going to be the greatest. And that offense they had was causing them to, to like sin. There was an offense and it was at work. And it, it, the offenses that you take towards someone else can create strife to a point of sin and it can push you off of your mission. In fact, offense, Jesus said, in this context is so dangerous, it could take you to hell. That's why in Matthew 18, Jesus said, woe to him by whom offenses are made. And if you look at the passage, I mean, he's, he's referring to that. I don't think there's a greater way to get off your mission point than when you get offended. And I say that from 20 years of working in church-related situations. Because I have seen guys who I thought were really called and had a hunger and a fire for the Lord and I've watched as they got offended, particularly at church leadership, and disappeared. 
And the new ministry they found was to grow marijuana because they said that the leaves are for the healing of the nations, which is totally out of context. <laughs> but that offense drove them. I, I had friends who they got offended and, and, and left and lost years of their life. I mean, years went by before they could get back in their relationship with God in the right way because they got offended. And you know what else I've noticed? is that when you're younger, like in your 20s, it's a lot easier for people to get offended. It's like they haven't had the failures, the ups and the downs. They haven't discovered that they're also an idiot yet. And it's amazing to me how people don't discover some things. It's, it, I love being older, man. I, I'm way less offended. I, I care way less. Young people, sometimes they just get you know, too hot to handle. The thing about an offense, as you probably know, is it becomes fairly consuming in your mind. Isn't that right? And you spend the whole time thinking about what you should have said to somebody and told them off. And the offense becomes blinding to people. I mean, it's like that's all they can think about is that what happened to them. And suddenly their world becomes really small because you can't move forward with that. Jesus said it's better for a millstone to be hung around your neck. I have found when people get offended, it's like they're carrying a weight. That weight is as a stone. And you can't run and fulfill the will of God when you're carrying around a bag of rocks. It, it'll, it, that offense it will stop you from running the race that God has for you. I mean, it'll prohibit you from, from walking with God. So when Jesus said in this passage of Scripture, if your hand causes you to sin, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, if it causes offense, he said, pluck it out. Now, he, he, he is not being literal. I know people who've taken that to extremes. But he, it's a metaphorical thing that says, Whatever sin, whatever offense is in your way, you got to cut it out. You got to get rid of that. If you're going to do what God has called you to do, you cannot get hung up with offenses because it's impossible, Jesus said, that you won't get offended. It will happen in, in every day of the week in all shapes and sizes. And for you to go where you got to go, you got to get through that offense. Now, my last point here number five. Look at Mark 9 and verse 50. Salt is good. But he said, if the salt loses its flavor, how are you going to season it? So he says, have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. The fifth thing I want to say about staying on your mission is that you got to learn how to hold on to your peace. Hold on to it. Because salt is the preservative. You probably know that in the ancient world, that's how they would you know, preserve the meat so they could use it. They didn't have refrigerators and deep freeze freezers like we do today. So they had to use meat to do that. You know, character is like a preservative. Because what happens when you have character, you will take the time to wait on a decision until you have peace about it. I have gotten into more trouble in my life because I get too much in a hurry and I try to figure things out rather than simply wait for peace. And it's hard for people like me who are, you know, impatient and want to make quick decisions, but... Sometimes I have to simply wait for the peace of God because you need the peace of God to accomplish your mission. But you got to fight for your right to hold on to peace. You might know the reference I'm talking about. You got to fight for your right to hold on to the peace of God because it's given to you. And the thing about peace is it comes from the Lord. You know, I had something this week I was walking through and, and a little, little thing in my mind, Elizabeth and I are kind of in a personal trial about something. 
And I'm reminded of Romans 15. It says that the God of hope will give you peace. He'll fill you with peace and joy in believing. And I, I was just thinking about that. All of a sudden this week, I was walking to work. The peace of God came to me. It was his peace he gave to me. And Elizabeth woke up the other night, and she said, I had the peace of God. He gave it to me. I, I, I mean, it's his peace to give. And, and man, that is a wonderful thing. It's, it's his. I just have to receive his peace. I have to fight for my right to have the peace of God in my life. His peace, the Bible says, will keep and guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It's like a, it's like a, a helmet of salvation, a shield of faith. It's a little bit like having armed escorts wherever you go to preaching engagements. Because <laughs> you do, I kept hugging the cops and said, man, I feel a lot safer with you here. You're very comforting to me. <laughs> and that's what the peace of God will do. It's a defense mechanism. It's a barrier. It's a bodyguard that will keep away, you know, fear, insecurities, condemning thoughts the peace of God. And Colossians 3 says the peace of God will rule in your heart like an umpire. And you know what an umpire does is he makes judgment calls so that you can discern between right and wrong, a good decision and a bad decision, it strikes or balls. That's, that's what the verse is referring to when he talked about it. It's, it's judgment calls. So I need the peace of God to make decisions in my life. I need it. I look for it. And you know, there's an endless number of decisions I have to make. There's an endless number of decisions you have to make. Like, what are you going to do in this situation? How are you going to raise your kids? Where are you going to send them to school? What are you going to do with this investment? How are you going to handle criticism? When will you know when you got to take the next steps in your walk with God? There's all kinds of questions that require your decision. But what that salt is, what that character preserve is when you follow the peace of God to help you make decisions. Man, if you can stay in the peace of God, hold on to that peace, fight for it, follow it, that is how you can say, I, I am moving in the plan and the path that God has for me. That's really why I married Elizabeth. I mean, you think Elizabeth is the sweetest, kindest person? I thought that too. That's why I married her. I remember when I went up to Canada the first time to meet her, I was like, I had cold feet. I got scared. But I realized if I can't be happy with Elizabeth, who could I be happy with? I mean, she, she, she just made me feel such a sense of peace around me, and that pulled me in. So I made a good decision. The peace of God followed through with that. And I'm just telling you, if you want to stay in your calling, if you want to fulfill the, the road that God has for you, you've got to stay in peace. Now, I want to ask you the question, what about your mission? What, what, what about the mission that God has for you? But when I think about the mission, I mean, this is where people, they, they get confused. Because a lot of times, people don't have a full understanding of what God's calling them to do. I mean, that's a huge problem for people. We talk about your mission. Do you understand it? It, it is sometimes a mystery to people, and people struggle with this so much. Now, when I was 19, I just felt God calling me, and I spent hours praying in the Spirit and seeking His face, and I felt God gave me direction. God gave me purpose. God gave me vision, and you need that vision in your life to run after it. It means that you're going to have to spend some time pursuing His will, seeking His face, seeking to discover, what are you calling me to do? And what I have found out that's so interesting about it was when you start stepping into the call of God, when you start saying, I feel like he's calling me to this, when, when, when you do that, it's not all clear at once. 
it comes as you walk it out. That's part of the adventure of walking with God. Jesus is on the journey. The disciples were afraid and they were amazed. And that is one of the real truths of the kingdom, is that as you step into the plan of God and you start understanding or trying to discover his will, you've got to kind of walk it out to discover it. So I would encourage you to seek his face. And when he impresses you to do something, you act on it. You start moving in that direction. That's what's happening here. Or, you know, maybe the truth is you're not willing to be a servant. I do come across this with people as well. They have no thought about serving someone. And my mentor, Pastor Larry, he had this hiring process he used to take people through. And they would take prospective employees in the interview and they'd say, you know, we have an event this week and we need some help stapling some papers in the back. Would you come help us? And they said people would come back and help staple papers, but on more than one occasion, they had people who said, you know, I have an MDiv and stapling papers is beneath my pay grade. And they would say, oh, well, that's okay. This, this won't take that long then. Because <laughs> what you're looking for in, in life is, is your purpose is found in serving somebody else. Right. It's so funny. People lose sight of that, man. The purpose, the plan, the mission God has for you, you just got to find a way to serve somebody. Find a way to be a blessing. Mm. Maybe you've got personal animosity, a bias, a prejudice to someone which falls on the heels of being offended so easily. I remember a, a woman came to me years ago. We were first starting. I made a statement that you got to remain unoffendable. And, and she told me that that offended her. Because she said, I'm easily offended. <laughs> I mean, like, I have discovered I'm always offended at somebody. You know, it's a sad thing. I found people like that never really do get satisfied in life. They never do find the purpose of God. It seems like they're always struggling. And it's because there's always an offense. There's always a bitterness. And when you learn to let go of a pain, when you learn to let go of, of something that's just oh, eating you up, man, mm. that's how you can follow through with what God has asked you to do, is, is letting go of that. Yeah. Or it's following your peace. Do you, do you know how to follow the peace of God? Do you know where it comes from? I, I have found that when I just spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus, reading his word, peace comes into my heart. And it amazes me how people will spend so much time deliberating decisions because they don't have peace. The peace of God will accompany the will of God. And when you just spend time with him, get it in your heart, walk with him, oh, it goes a long, 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 long way. The peace of God. So it, maybe that's you this morning. You, you're trying to discover what is the mission. Maybe you know the mission. But the idea is I'm going to follow through with it. I'm going to stick with it. I'm not going to give up wherever it takes me. I, I will Leave me, Lord, and I will follow. Because that, that's what it takes to fulfill the will of God. It's that willingness to just follow him. So I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know what thing is in your I don't know if it's a prejudice. I don't know if it's a peace thing. But I want to pray for the purpose of the Lord, the mission of the Lord. Mm. Father, and thank you this morning. Uh, for the purpose of God. I thank you that we would discover it and know it in our hearts and minds. Mm. Lord, I want to walk it out. Hmm. I got these two boys in the back over. Christian, I want your boys to stand up. And I, I just hit me. I was looking at these two young men, and it reminded me about being a young man. In fact, you know what? I want to pray over the whole youth group. Will you, will you young guys, if you're under the age of uh, 18, stand up. And I want to... Oh, boy, I, <laughs> Listen, one of the greatest things that can happen to you is when you find purpose at a young age for your life. Mm. Yeah. Boy, reach a hand out. I want to pray that the purpose and the will of God 
Father, I pray over this group of young people. And we thank you for dreams and visions in the night. I thank you for the accompaniment of ideas, expectations to know what to do. Lord, I pray over them. God, as, as the next season, the next steps come, you're going to make a way. You're going to reveal it. God, give them guidance. Give them direction. Help them know the next steps. Help them understand the plan of God, the purpose that God's got for their life. Lord, I thank you. You're going to lead them. You're going to guide them. Look at all these young people in here, man. I thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus for the plan of God. Lord, I speak the plan of God. I declare it. I pray revelation, wisdom. I, I pray, God, they would stay pure before you. I pray, Lord, for good decisions, good associations. Every situation, every season that they go through, Lord, you're with them. You're going to direct their steps and guide them. Father, we thank you for fulfilling the plan of God in their life, in our life, in this church, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Woo, man. I remember at 19, I rededicated my life when I was 18, 17. The Lord got a hold of my heart, changed the course of my life. And I'm telling you, that's what he wants to do in your life if you stay open to him. I've got to tell you guys, it feels so good to be home. So good. I, I, uh, I, I, Pakistan was just an amazing experience. I mean, and I told you it was a difficult trip, man. It's, it's not easy to do that. Pakistan is routinely in the world's list of the most persecuted and dangerous countries to go to. I know because Joel and I were in Dubai Googling it. And it came by a, a, a six or seven on every list. And we were thinking, are we really going to do this? <laughs> and the reason it's, it's there is because the, they're so close to the Taliban and they have a lot of violence in the culture. So that's why we had armed security and it's just sort of the makeup up there. But when Joel and I were talking about it, you know, we were like, man, it's not really death that we're afraid of. It, it, you know, what really, to be honest with you, what really scared us was being stuck up somewhere in some Pakistani prison. Because I met a man named Andrew Brunson when I was in D.C. a few months ago. Andrew Brunson, if you remember, was in Turkey. He was a minister. He got put in prison for two years, and it took Donald Trump saying he was going to blow up Turkey to get him back. And I don't think Joe Biden would do that for Joel and I. Just letting you know. So we were like, you know, think about not being with your kids for years, your wife. That, that was really the, the fear that we had. And you know what's, what's even more terrifying than a Pakistani prison? Is when you read that section here in Mark's gospel, 9, Mark 9, he's talking about a worm that doesn't die. He's talking about a fire that doesn't quench. He, he, he made a reference to salt in verse 49 that I had to look up from commentators, which seems to indicate that somehow in hell, the, the, it's like there'll be a preservative so you endure it and go through it. Terrifying thought. Hell and eternal separation from God is much worse than a Pakistani prison. Because you'll never escape that. That should terrify you. And somehow, we've just lost sight of what that is today, haven't we? So if you're not right with the Lord, if you're not on the right track, if he hasn't got a hold of your heart, if you're not pursuing him, if, it's, if, if it's, you've never accepted the cleansing blood of Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to get right with the Lord. If I get every head bowed, every eye closed, you don't want to experience hell. The flames of the, I want to pray over you. I would hate to see you go there. I would hate to see you endure that flame. Mm. Mm, I feel the fear of the Lord in here. <laughs> I see those hands. All right, say it with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of sin. I want to be with you forever. So I pray that in Jesus' name. I want to know you. Turn my heart. 
In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you're sincere, I would love to meet you after the service. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to get you grounded and rooted in the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Well, I just feel the peace of the Lord. It was so good to be, guys, it was so good to be here with you, worshiping the Lord. My sister told me that um, she's never really missed me before and that she missed me. Been on three Sundays. That blessed me. So thank you, man. You can stand up this morning. It's great to have you out today. We love you very much. And uh, we will see you all this week. We got, we're not having a men's breakfast this, this next week here. Uh, we're, so we'll, we'll be in touch with that about some of our plans with that. So this week and through Easter, we're not going to have it, but we'll get back together soon. But we love you. If you want prayer, we want to come pray with you. If you want to come and say hi, I'd love to see you. And uh, you can talk to Joel. He's got crazy stories too. So love you all very much. We'll see you this next week. We'll see you Sunday. Enjoy the weather. Amen. <laughs>